Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. This is a podcast for and about midwives. This is the place where midwives come to share their stories. I am your host, Amber Wilson, a midwife myself. I felt called to this journey of sharing the stories of midwives around the globe, and I hope you will find as much joy listening as I do interviewing. Remember, life is about the journey. Um, welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast, Kelly. I'm so excited to finally have you on. Um, Kelly is one of my favorite humans in the whole wide world. And it has taken us, whatever, four years yeah. to finally do this work. I know, so, it's sad. <laughs> it is sad. But we're here. But I'm actually excited because now you have so much experience and depth and things and insight that I think you're going to really um, give an offer to people who are coming into midwifery. So first intro, who you are, where you are. Okay. My name is Kelly McAdam. Um, I'm a certified nurse midwife and I work at Riverside Partners in Women's Health, which um, the we deliver at the hospital Riverside Regional Medical Center, which is based in Newport News. But our, our practice is pretty big. So we have four different locations kind of spread out in the area. And that's in Virginia for people that don't know. Yes. Because you didn't say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Southeast. Yes. A busy area, busy urban area. Yeah. yeah. With a pretty so, like diverse population. Like some, mm-hmm. there's a big military presence here. So that brings in a bunch of different people. We have offices that are in an urban area and then some offices that are in more of like rural parts of the, the area. So it brings in a, a whole wide variety of patients. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're going to start at the beginning, like I do with everybody and share why and how, what called you to midwifery? Yeah. So I always, it always makes me laugh to think that I'm a midwife right now, because when I went to nursing school, I literally first off went to nursing school because I had a scholarship to a community college. And I was like, okay, what degree could I get when I leave here that maybe has an interest to me? And so nursing was one of them. And so I got my nursing degree, my associate's degree, and I, by the end of nursing school, I was like, oh, absolutely, this is it. Like, I, this is absolutely a career I love. But when it came down to specialty, L&D was like bottom of my list. So I thought of all the places, I never want to be in labor and delivery. Um, But I moved from my home in St. Louis over to Guam. And the hospital there, I just applied for like a general nurse position, went interviewed. They were like, what specialties would you like? And I was like, oh, I think I'd like to do ER or ICU or pediatrics. And they were like, okay, finish the interview. They called me and they're like, okay, can you come in and start on Monday? I'm like, great. Where am I going to work now? And they were like, labor and delivery. And I was like, that never came up in our conversation. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a surprise. Yeah. And it's weird, right? Because like, usually like L and D positions were like harder to come by because this was in 2007, 2006. So I started there and I remember going into my first delivery over there. And as crazy as it was, like, I knew, oh, this is, this is it. Like, this is my spot. Like, it's just such a cool moment to be present when a baby's born and to just be able to see that difference that happens for moms and 
to be there with them as that changeover happens from them as like this nervous, anxious mom expecting a baby to like this happy little family that you bundle up and send over to postpartum. <laughs> so I thought, great, like Ellen D nurse, this is, this is my spot. This is where I'll be. And then what really changed my mind and made me decide to become a midwife is that I saw the difference in the way patients were treated by providers and the way that their birth experience went. And to me, that was huge. So like you could see patients that had what many of us in the medical side would consider like a traumatic delivery and they would be fine afterwards. Like they were just ecstatic, like their baby's good, they're good, everything's great. But it was because of the way that their provider treated them and informed them and talked to them and got them through it. And then I've seen people that have had pretty straightforward deliveries. And if you went back and talked to them, their perception of that was they were almost died <laughs> or that their mm -hmm. baby, like something bad almost happened to their baby. And so to see that difference in what that experience is like, and then to also know after having my own children, like how much that experience stays with you through your whole life, like that to me was huge. And so I knew then that I was like, nope, like I, at this point now, like being a midwife is something that I have to do in my life. Like I didn't know when it was going to happen because like I said, I had my children, um, but I knew at some point I had to get there. And so, yeah, I think I had been a nurse for about nine years when I went back to school um, to become a midwife. And it's been great since then. I finished in 2018. So I just actually hit my five-year anniversary um, of working as a midwife. So kind of okay, a whirlwind so of full questions. Because you skipped all that. That's important stuff. <laughs> um, I know the answers, but where did you go? Yeah, I went to Frontier Nursing mm -hmm. University. Um, and I went there for one, because I love the history. So like the history of that school really resonated with me. But for two, it was because they had the bridge program. And I don't know, do you even remember? You're the one that told me. I do. I remember because you reminded me, but I'm like, I always am so honored, I guess, that I was a little piece of your journey. Yeah. You were like, oh, you should look at Frontier. They have a bridge program. And that was perfect because I had tried to like go back and finish my master's before, but you know, or my bachelor's. So like, but you know, like your bachelor's classes are not exciting. Mm-hmm. It's like yes. the nursing theory and <laughs> all of that part. And so I, it was just hard to ever get the motivation to finish it. So to have it to where it kind of just tied into my master's and then into my doctorate made it so much easier. Mm -hmm. Cause you just went straight from associates to masters. Yep. Yep. Yeah, also that. it gave me determination, right? So like some people talk about it, it's a bad thing because if you are to quit without ever finishing, like you don't have anything more, right? You still just have your associates. But for me, that was then like, I can't quit because mm -hmm. I won't have anything more. So I was like, I have to finish. I have to keep going no matter how, how hard this gets, no matter what difficulties come up, like I got to finish this. And how were the dynamics, Kay? Because you had kids. Yeah. And were you working? All those things, like how did you so, do it? Well, it's interesting because I 
we had thought we were done having kids. And so I was like, okay, this is the time we were, my husband was getting stationed in Alaska because he was in the Coast Guard. And up there, there's not like a really busy hospital. The We went to Sitka and on Sitka, they do about 80 deliveries in a year. And so I knew, and plus with his job, I knew I wasn't going to be working much. So I was like, okay, this is the time. Like I'll go back to school. I'll be at home with the kids and we'll get through this. And then the first day of my classes, I found out I was pregnant with my third. (laughs) (laughs) And so so then it went from being like, just being a stay at home mom and doing my master's program to being pregnant, delivering the day after taking a final and then having a newborn and being in my master's. And I did work. I did work a little bit when I was up there, um, but their hospital was small. So I helped to like train some of their nurses in obstetrics because they just didn't have a lot of volume to get that experience. And then I helped them with like updating their policies and things like that. So just a little bit of something to kind of keep me somewhat active and like some of those skills and mindset up, but I didn't work much. And then you... um had to move you well you moved anyway but for clinicals you had to move yeah so for clinicals I had to move because there was not a midwife in Sitka for me to do my clinicals with so I my husband stayed and finished his time in Alaska and me and my children moved in with my family in Missouri so that I could do my clinicals and they could help out with my kids um and it was great I got to so with all of my experience being in the hospital and a lot of it being in high-risk centers and that I got a clinical site at a birth center and so they did um, deliveries at the birth center as well as in home and so something completely out of my realm right like I was like a new little tiny baby again myself (laughs) but going into there but it was the best experience ever because it just it really got me to change my mindset about not everything is go, go, go. Not everything about birth has to be intervened upon. Um, It got me to trust intermittent auscultation, which I probably didn't so much before that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Even though you read all the research and things, you always still want to, it's just so ingrained that we have to keep these babies on the monitor. But that really taught me like these kiddos come out just fine. And like we said offline, it taught you to chill and like sit on your and watch and let birth happen right and And to really see what a laboring person looks like right like I tell um new nurses and that all the time like look at what the patient looks like you could tell without ever doing a cervical exam if you just look at that patient you can probably roughly estimate what most patients are cervical dilation just by looking at their behavior Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so key because some people's cervixes, you know, will be one centimeter, but in an hour, they're going to be complete and having that baby. And if you looked at their behavior, you would see that that kind of matched up. <laughs> yeah, totally so, agree. So yeah, um, did so you do really all your clinical that. time there? I didn't know. So I also had some, because Frontier requires that you have some hospital-based birth. So I also did it with a... um another practice that was actually in Illinois. Um, 
And they are actually kind of a practice that's similar to what I'm in now. So they had multiple midwives, they had multiple physicians, a few different office locations um, that they managed out of. So kind of a similar setup to this, um, but a majority of my births. So I think I had like 45 deliveries in clinicals or something. And like 26 of them or something like that were in the birth center or at somebody's home. And then the other ones were at um, the hospital. That's so, a good, yeah. good half and half. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you did all nice. that with your family helped. Yes. I'm sure it was amazing. But you were apart from your husband all that time. Yes. Yes. Um, so it was like, I definitely couldn't have done it without my family because I did my clinicals pretty quickly. So, you know, Frontier does all of the didactics on the front end of it and then all of your clinicals at the end of it. Um, and so you can kind of space your time and doing your clinicals. You have to get your hours and your births and things like that. But I think on the low end, you have to do a minimum of 16 weeks and kind of with when we were going to be moving and everything like that, I kind of only had 16 weeks. And so I went to every birth they called me for, I think. So thank God my mom was there and she would hop into bed with my two-year-old and, or he was one at the time, into bed with my one-year-old and I would head off to deliveries. <laughs> that is a lifesaver. Yeah. So that's the, that's the flip side. I think that makes clinicals at a birth center a little bit harder is that you definitely have to have more flexibility, right? Like mm -hmm. the hospital, there's always somebody coming in. But at home, you, you have to wait. There's only so many they do in a month. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much have to be on call, especially as a student, the whole right. time. Right. It is a lot. And sometimes you're there for a long time. Yeah, I remember it was Easter weekend. And we went in, I think we went in like Saturday afternoon. And I missed like Easter morning and Easter breakfast and that with my family because we had three deliveries in that weekend. So it's like mm -hmm. feast or famine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but like somebody would come in and I would remember texting my family being like, I'll be home soon. Like we just delivered. And then, oh, somebody else just came in. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So I remember then in that time, like being there for, I think I ended up being there for 24 hours by the time it was all said and done. Were you, was that your first time? Like, were you okay with that? Or were you feeling like, oh, okay, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> no, I was okay with it because I am, like I said, I, I knew my time frame. I knew I needed to get my numbers in and get things done um, in order to kind of have the rest of my life match up to where I needed things to be. But also, like I said, like I loved my experience at the birth center. And so I also wanted to soak in as much as I could from that experience. Like, even though I had another site that I knew I could get hours in, I think getting that experience and something that was so different from what I worked in was key. Like, it was just great to see that difference. I mean, 26 is a lot for just birth center clinical. I know. I know it was, it was a lot. But like I said, I'm telling you, every time they called me, they'd be like, Kelly, can you come? And I'm like, on my way. As for some birth centers, that's like the whole year. Yeah. Or I don't I, know, maybe six months. I, I can't remember how many, I feel like they did 
somewhere in the range of like 20 or 21 deliveries in a month. Mm-hmm. I feel like is what they had. Um, but that was also between, they also had hospital privileges. So they would also deliver people in the hospital, but that hospital did not approve them to bring students with them. So if I had a patient in the birth center or at home that had to transfer to the hospital, then I didn't get to go be part of that delivery. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah. Luckily it didn't happen too much. Yeah. Um, okay. And then you moved, I guess, yeah. which do I first that you found the job before you moved or you moved and then found the job. I mean, you had to move anyway. Right. Right. We knew we were um, coming back to Virginia because at the time that's where my, that's where my husband's orders were going to be was to Virginia. Plus we wanted to come back to Virginia. We knew some cool people like yourself that Imagine lived here <laughs> before you left me again. Oh, no. Um, but so we knew we were coming back to Virginia. And so I started looking for jobs in this area as I was finishing. I don't think I was all the way finished yet. Maybe I was. Um, but I was starting to look for jobs in this area and that prior to moving. And so I applied for a couple different jobs. And one of the places that called me back is the job that I'm in now. But they didn't have midwives. No, they, um, so they had one midwife before me, um, and she had been with them, I think for almost a year had like had a baby in that time. So like, it was very interesting because when they called me, you know, first is the phone call from the recruiter. And so I'm like asking the recruiter, like, okay, what does, what will this call look like? What would office look like? And she's giving me these answers. And I think for calls, she told me I'd be one in 15. So like two call days a month. Okay. And I thought, wow, that doesn't sound like a lot at all. And then they had me talk with the practice director. And so I talked to the practice director and she's like, oh, well, you know, right now, I, you know, we're not really sure what it would look like, but maybe like a call shift a week or so. And then you'd be in the office. And I was like, oh, okay. They're like, do you want to talk to the midwife that works for us now? too like and I was like yeah that sounds great so I had a phone call with her and she was like oh yeah I work 8 to 4 30 on labor and delivery Monday through Friday and I was like that doesn't sound like anything that anybody has mentioned before now (laughs) and so I was really felt like I started to get the idea like they really don't know what they want at this point right and so I was like well this is a little concerning (laughs) but I, they were, they flew me out for an interview. I got to meet everybody, um, sit down and have lunch with them. That was the first time I realized how intense interviews for providers are, you know, like when you went for a nursing interview, it was like, you know, like a 20 minute interview with the nursing manager. And I got my itinerary and it was six hours (laughs) worth of things. Right. Like I met with somebody from HR and talked about benefits. And then I met with, they offered to have me meet with a realtor for the area. They offered to have me talk with somebody about that specializes in the schools in the area. They um, set up a lunch with one of the practices offices. I had a tour on the grain delivery. And then I think I went to maybe one of the other 
practices or something like that. But I mean, it, it, it all in all, it was like a six hour day. And I mm-hmm. thought, I never in my life imagined. Oh, I've also met with our um, president of provider services. And I was just like, this is all so much. <laughs> yeah. And so, so different. Did you feel um, like the interview with the doc, with like the team was it, intense? No, so not really. Some of them ask, it was interesting because I could tell in that interview, and that wasn't even all of the physicians in our practice, but I could tell in that interview, I already picked up on that there were some of them that had never worked with midwives before. Because like, um, one of them, I remember asking me like, oh, do you do vacuums? And I was like, I don't, you know, it's in my scope, but like, I, I have not done them, but I have the ability, like I can learn to do them mm-hmm. if we needed me to. And then... Another one was like, oh, I was trained by midwives and blah, blah, blah. Like, and that conversation was fine. Like I could tell they were familiar. And then another physician, I will never forget, (laughs) kind of sat quietly at the end of the table and never said two words to me. And I was like, you could just tell like this really wasn't a developed position. And I kind of got a little bit of the hint at that point that like, maybe not even everybody was on board with the midwife joining. So, you know, it was kind of like a eye-opening experience. (laughs) Um, But I interviewed with one other practice in the area and I felt like my experience with my job I have now, I just, I felt like it was going to be better. And I liked the idea of that they didn't know what they wanted. And thinking back now and everything I've gone through to get to where we are now, I sound a little crazy, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I liked that idea. I liked the flexibility of it, right? Like I could, I felt like I could make this into what I needed it or wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, ultimately you ended up being the only midwife, right? So then the midwife that worked here before, um, she left. Um, her husband was also military. They got transferred to a new area. So she left, they decided to hire two midwives and they called me after they called me and like offered me the job and everything like that. They said, yeah, we're going to be hiring two midwives. Like, do you want to start in October or November? She's going to start in November. And so I was like, I want to start in October. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know why I just felt like I want to be the first one to get into this place and see what this is all about. Um, and so I did, I started exactly one month before her. Um, and so for the first, I would say year, it was just the two of us. Um, and then once I started into the hospital and like met the other physicians, I did really realize it was probably like 60% of them weren't really sold on midwives. And of that, I would say, um, out of the group as a whole, there was probably like around 50% of them that didn't really want a midwife. Like they didn't think that that was necessary to have. That number may have been even higher. Um, So it was an interesting dynamic. All the physicians I work with, they were all super nice in that. But I remember one of them telling me, I don't know why we hired somebody with your salary to to just do our vaginal deliveries for us. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I like do more than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and over this five years, 
that opinion has drastically changed because now they can't live without us. <laughs> so and how from, many are on your team now? How many midwives? Yeah. So now we have, right now, currently we have six full-time and then one that picks up a couple days a month. Mm -hmm. um, after the beginning of the year, we actually have our seventh midwife that is hired. We're just waiting for her to finish out her school and that, and then she'll start with us. So we'll have seven full-time midwives and then one person that picks up like PRN kind of positions to help out. So from our little group of two up to now, it's huge. And now I had one of the physicians that I think was probably the most standoffish about having midwives. She, so they take report at 7 a.m. And we had a midwife that was out sick. And at 7.15, she's texting me saying, Kelly, who's the midwife that's co covering for today? Because they now can't do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's so interesting to see how that has developed in such a short time. Some of that is because our practice grew. So we have probably had a 50% increase in numbers. And some of that I think comes from the way that they redid insurance and the insurance providers that we take. I think the other part of that comes from that people want a midwife. Like they want that experience and to see us. Um, and so I think that that also brought some of these patients into our group. Okay. But so, you yeah. really like trailblaze this. I mean, I've, I've watched you over five years and <laughs> I really like you've created this. And even when I spoke to your practice and they were like, oh, Kelly, this, Kelly, this, ask her, you know, <laughs> like, I think that's amazing, but you were a new grad. Yeah. I mean, you've had labor and delivery experience and, and you were a mom. I mean, you had life experience. You weren't like 24, but how there's so many people, midwives that go into practices that are exactly what you're saying. They didn't really feel yeah. welcome. They didn't really know how to use midwives. They're just hiring, hiring them because like, Oh, people want a midwife. But we don't really know what that means. Right. You know, maybe they're one or two or whatever. Like, I don't even know if you can, because maybe it's just you and you're amazing, but how do you offer <laughs> advice to somebody who goes into that? Cause a lot of people end up walking away from that. Like they're overwhelmed, right. they're overworked there. Yeah. I do think there was a period of time where I even thought you were overworked and oh, I was like, a, a thousand not fair. percent. A thousand percent. I was overworked a thousand percent. Yes. And, but I personally think like you have to go through that stage, right? Like you have to get through that hardness. Um, and so like, I knew when we started, like our first schedule we worked was, um, Monday through Friday, 9 PM to 9 AM for one week. And then the next week we had two office days. So it balanced out into just being, you know, a little over 40 hours, but like one week was hard of having, what is that? 60 hours yeah, or whatever. But I knew that once we got in there, because like I said, all of the physicians I worked with were super nice. They helped to like train me and my suturing and all of that. I knew I just had to show them what a midwife could do, right? Like show them how we could be useful to this practice. And so I knew that it was just going to take some hard work to, to get there. And then once we kind of showed them what we could do, it's gotten better. So like each time, you know, like I worked through this hard part of it and then I would kind of start putting this bug in somebody's ear, like, 
Hey, you know, I always think you have to find, you got to find your person, right? You got to find the person that, you know, can make some things happen and get them on your side. <laughs> and so I, I would kind of like start putting this out there like, you know, like this is a lot of hours or like we're doing a lot. Oh my goodness. You know, look at how many deliveries I did. So like, I think, well, in five years I've been here and I've done over 1200 deliveries. Yeah. That's a lot. So it's a lot. And so mm -hmm. to like, when, once you get some of those hard numbers behind you, people are like, oh, like this is a lot, mm -hmm. right? Like this is a difference. They can see their workload shifting and they can see those numbers of what you're doing and what you're bringing to the practice. Um, plus they can, they hear the stories from the patients. So like we have patients they all get sent the survey at the end. And so, you know, they get asked all the different questions and things like that. So like patients were giving that feedback of that they liked having the midwives, that they had great experiences with their providers. I think everybody kind of saw that, oh, midwives do provide the same kind of care, right? Like we still meet those same standards of care. Now, there's a lot of hard conversations that happen because of course midwives don't do things like physicians. And I think initially there's some confusion of like using us as like, kind of like how a resident would be like we work under them. And so I realized I just had to kind of like get their trust and then I would do something a little different and they'd be like, Oh, well, I don't usually do that because of this, this, and this. And I'd be like, well, but there's this research that shows we can. <laughs> And then they would see it would work and then they would kind of fall back and be like, okay, this is all working out. So it is, it's a lot to endure and there's definitely some hard times. You know, I started my first day at this practice was also my first day in my DNP um, for school. And so that in and of itself was challenging to kind of manage through. But I also think doing that process improvement project in my practice proved even more that they were like, okay, like she really is committed to, to doing something different, to making things better, right? To improving this for our patients. Um, so I think you do, you have to get through that hard part of it. And, you know, if you look at my starting salary to my salary five years later, that's also been a drastic change. Mm -hmm. So it's also been nice to kind of see that play out too. Um, when we just went into our um, contract, when they like recently just changed our contract in that, and we went to the meeting with all of the providers as they like introduced us, our finance guy said, hey, you know, like, we need to think about this like a basketball team. And he's like, you know, everybody deserves like their position. Everybody deserves to be on this team and everybody on the team deserves a jersey. And like right now we have players on our team that we haven't even given them a jersey. And he's like, so that's and this is the guy that is I mean, he lives and dies by numbers. So like he's like, you know, when we look at what these girls are doing mm -hmm. and what we pay them compared to what we're paying other people doing these same kind of things. It's not fair. Um, and so it was very interesting to then see almost unanimously the group behind it say, yeah, like this is right. We got to change this. We have to do better by them. Um, but it just took, it took time. I mean, that took four years to get to that point. 
Yeah. So, so now people being hired are being hired at an appropriate salary. Right. Versus uh, I personally didn't love your salary starting five years ago. (laughs) But for the area in general, it wasn't, it was actually better than what the other place I interviewed at. It was significantly higher than what they offered me. Yeah. I don't think anybody back then was paying well. No. And I think that that will be an interesting thing for probably new midwives now that'll be graduating. I, you know, there's still some states that are struggling, but in like behind in that, but I think in general, people are starting to realize the amount, like first off, like nurses are being paid much better now. And Mm -hmm. so now that has to trickle over to the provider side. And I remember telling like somebody that offered me a job and I was like, I made more than this as a nurse. Mm -hmm. And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, a registered nurse on the floor, I would show up, do my 12 hour shifts, leave, go home, do that three times in a week. I would make more money than this. And they were like, no way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so they like talked to the nurses on the floor and they were like completely shocked that this is what nurses salaries had gone to. And so I think seeing that change then made them have to look at where providers now, where are we paying our nurse practitioners and midwives and APPs in comparison to that? Mm. Because it is, it's more responsibility. Absolutely. Now, do you feel like, like, what's your schedule like now? So our schedule now is for the most part, we do one 24 and two office days um, in a week. Some weeks we still have two 24s, but if that happens, then the next week we have only one 24 and one office day. Um, we also do um, supportive pregnancy care, which is kind of like centering, but it's through the March of Dimes. Um, so we started that program. Oh man, I think it's been like three years now. It's just was like a slow roll because of COVID kind of made it difficult to grow. Um, so we get four hours for that blocked in our schedule too. So like if we have a clinic day, we'll have four hours with our group prenatal and then four hours in traditional office. And you guys were in the news or something for that, right? An article or something for the group prenatal. Yes. Right. I don't know. Something was I, I think something, an award, (laughs) something. I can't remember the details, but I thought Jamie sent me something about You being, you guys being recognized the, so like the, I think they put it forward to put ours, I think through the March of Dimes, they're like putting it forward to be recognized as like a successful group. So like to come to their, um, conference and be like part of a panel discussion on how we have done that and what ours looks like, because Mm -hmm. the nice thing about through the program that we do is it's not quite as stringent and structured as centering is so they kind of like give you the resources and then you make your curriculum on your own kind of thing and so um yeah we get to do that and then I have a teen pregnancy group that is wanting to start it and they are coming up to shadow with us this teen pregnancy center from I think Georgia and they're coming up to shadow with us so that we can help them out with getting going, which is my absolute favorite. I just started a Spanish speaking cohort and I was a little bit concerned because I do not speak Spanish. 
Um, but we have an interpreter that comes. And so I was worried about how that flow would feel and go, but it goes great. And those women are so much fun to talk to <laughs> and to find out because they're from, I think we have like Honduras and Venezuela and maybe somebody from Cuba. And I feel like they're somewhere else in there, but like, so to hear about birth and like what it was like with like those that have had previous deliveries versus now, like, it's just, it's such a fun part of my job. Oh, and that probably helps them feel less um, anxious or fearful about being in a new situation. Right. Right. And they're like becoming friends with each other. So like we had two people Mm -hmm. from like the same place. And so like, then they like were reconnecting and like talking and exchanging numbers. So like, it's, it's just fun to see. Um, but like even getting to start that program is because of the fact of that, you know, I, after working here for a little bit, I was like, Hey, like we need to get these prenatal appointments in, in a better way. Like this is another option for us that we could see a lot of people in a shorter amount of time and give them better care. And all the way up to our person that our director of provider services, they were like, yep, this sounds perfect. This sounds great. Let's do it. And I assume you took, you participate in building that curriculum. Yeah. So I helped out, um, Jamie helped us, mm-hmm. helped us out, um, a lot, bringing in her experience from it and that. And so, and then we have another midwife who now works mostly just in the office and she had a lot of experience doing group prenatal in the past. And so she also helped out with us kind of figuring out how to build it and different things, the different topics to talk about at each session. And then um, we've now worked it out that we get, um, we've networked with like the physical therapist, the public floor physical therapist and behavioral health comes. And I got the residents from family practice to come talk about newborn care and they get to like plug themselves and get used to talking to new moms and dads about what their questions and concerns are even before the baby comes. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her and I had built a curriculum where we worked before. So I knew I've taken that with me. I figured that she would do that too. Plus she does it all the time. Right. These templates and all these things. I know Um, she's, I, I dream of being as organized as Jamie one day. Everyone should dream of that because it's (laughs) I cannot achieve her level of organization. I know. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, so, and also you guys added somebody to do postpartum rounds, right? Because it was feeling crazy. So yeah, that's our newest thing. So our, you know, that was the one thing when I started with this group, that was the one thing they said to me, they were like, we don't know what we want your schedule to look like. We know we don't want it to look like the last midwife that was here. (laughs) And we know that we don't want a postpartum round. And so that's kind of how we created that 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. Because I also got the idea they really don't want to be there at night. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so um, we did that. And then we rounded in the morning before we left. And then as it's grown and now we're doing 24 hours, like, for example, the other day I had, uh, let's see, we had five deliveries in my 24-hour shift. And then when I was supposed to go postpartum round, there's 17 patients on postpartum to see. And like, it just has grown to where that's not feasible, right? Like as much as we can all endure. And I always think I could win that Netflix show awake or whatever it is where they give like a million dollars. 
for keeping people up for 24 hours and then asking them to do tasks. I'm like, yeah, I'll take mine. Yeah. I'll take mine in small bills, please. They won't <laughs> let midwives come on the show because they'd go back. Right. <laughs> um, but it's hard like to think straight and we have sick people. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, our practice doesn't designate like these are midwife patients and these are physician patients. We're a collaborative care practice. So like everybody is everybody's. Um, and so we have hypertension, we have diabetes, we have people on mag, we have all sorts of issues and problems. We have social issues and things like that. And so, you know, getting those postpartum patients really deserve good care. Like they deserve to have somebody with not a 24 hour old brain, um, being the one to look them over and see it. Not only that, but like the midwives were then being stuck here later. And so, um, we kind of collectively all talked about it. You know, one thing that my job does a really great job in is getting feedback from providers and like what they think would help things be better. How could we improve things? You know, we also had issues with bed space. So like being able to turn over those beds, but as you're trying to manage labor and delivery and see postpartums and get them discharged, like that was delaying things. And so we were like, we really need somebody else to come round. Like that would be helpful. And it started out as just like being able to say, like just being able to send an SOS out to the other midwives and say, hey, like this night is crazy. It's very busy over there. Can anybody come help? And then the practice took that and kind of was like, well, let's actually, why don't we look at creating this new position for like another APP. So whether that's a midwife or a nurse practitioner or a PA um, that would just come in in the morning, they would round on postpartum for the first half of their day. And then their second half of the day would be in the office. And so that's the position that we're interviewing for right now. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, they've approved like a special pay for the midwife. So if we come in and round, they pay us extra per shift that will come in and help out with rounding. Mm -hmm. And it is life changing. (laughs) You just feel so much better just knowing that you don't have to worry about going to see 15 people in the morning (laughs) and sending, you know, like today I had nine discharges, I think out of all the patients that I saw. So when you're that tired, to be honest, it's easy to miss things. Like it's easy to send somebody home with their labetalol or right. Other things they're antidepressant or whatever. Right. And I think the big thing was, is really more of like those little things that get missed, like somebody needing their breast pump prescription or, Mm -hmm. um, somebody needing to have like the actual discharge order put in, (laughs) you know, like you've gone through, you've done their med rec, you've sent their prescriptions in, you've met with the patient, all of that. But like you then didn't put that actual discharge order in because it's, it's a lot of computer stuff that has to be done. You know, it's not just the care. It's also all of the charting that goes along with um, postpartum discharges. So yeah, so um, that's our next big thing. So we're interviewing for that position. And it's very funny because I tell the people when they come in an interview, I said, listen, you'll be able to spot the midwives every time they inter- you get introduced to somebody because their faces are going to light up with joy. They're going to look like they're seeing their true love for the first time. <laughs> you know, that's a great position though, for somebody that's maybe like 
um, maybe a midwife or a women's health nurse practitioner or whatever that can't do nights right now. Right. Maybe getting to that position and changing over later or, you know, I think that's a great position. Or like yeah. I, we both known FNPs that want to work in women's health. Right. And I think also it's going to end up helping the physicians even more too, because right now, if they have a GYN surgery that has to be admitted overnight, we don't round on them and they're the ones that are rounding on them. And so having this other person come in, they potentially would be able to see that GYN case too. Um, so I think it, it kind of helps out everybody. Um, and gives somebody that ability to not, I mean, I know you and I have talked about this, but like, I, I do love my office time, but I love my office time because it's in smaller doses. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think for somebody else, like that would also be great, right? Like for a nurse practitioner or a PA where office is kind of more their life versus the mm -hmm. hospital side, like this gives them a little change of scenery. So I know if it was me, like I would be way more willing to sign up for that than five office days oh my gosh I don't know any midwife that's like I love five days of sync I mean I love writers <laughs> that do it I love them but I've yet to meet a midwife that just loves to do that five days a week they love I know. Their birth and their labor time and I know I'm sure they're like, out there they they actually talk to us about adding more than our seven midwives that we have and they're like what do you guys think is like your happy number and we're like Oh, like seven, like we want one call day mm -hmm. <laughs> every week. And then mm -hmm. we do not want more than two office days <laughs> mm -hmm. because all of us did the math very quickly in our head and thought if there's eight, then that leaves somebody in the office for five days out of the week. Yeah. And we were all like calculating instantly. How do we take our PTO to never have yeah. five office days in a week? <laughs> So yeah, that's where we kind of settled on the seven and then having the PRN person to help cover if there's like a vacation or conference or things like that. So you guys just rotate your day. Yeah. So right now we rotate our day. We've talked a little bit about having set days. The physicians tend to have more like set call days. Like they are always on call in like Mondays or Tuesdays or things like that. We have talked about doing that. Um, but all of us have kids. Um, that are young. And so like you have different days that you need off for doctor's appointments or school events or sport events. And so to give that flexibility to not always have to be using PTO, it just works out better to kind of fluctuate the days. And also, like I said, I, I love, I love all my physicians that I work with. And I don't know that I've ever said that at a job, but I don't love them enough that I want to work with them every, every week. Yeah. You know, like it's just, everybody practices differently and it, it gets kind of sometimes a little bit difficult to, to always be managing labors with different people in the group and that. And so it's just kind of nice to have that rotation through to be able to kind of like share the wealth around and work with different people, because I think it's important. I think it's important to see how different people practice and to get to talk to other people in my practice about you know, because everybody's reading different journal articles and everybody's reading different, watching different podcasts and <laughs> kind of getting that different thing. So I like working with the different ones to kind of see, you know, like what's new with them. What have they found? <laughs> and everybody's personality is different. Right. So it is nice to have that. Right. Variety. Right. Otherwise it's like spending too much time with your sibling. I feel like 
Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is there any practices in the area that are even kind of like what you guys have? So I am not sure. I, I know that there's one other practice that is somewhat similar to ours, but is smaller. Um, but I don't know that there's anybody doing it on the same scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I know. Yeah. And I know, like, like I said, when I applied, there was like two midwife physicians that were out here. And I know I see a lot more midwife physicians mm-hmm. popping up now. So like, I think they're, it's becoming more popular and that. And so, um, I think probably some practices will grow that a little bit more, but I haven't seen it hit there yet. Yeah, which is good. And that's another reason why I say you're this huge trailblazer, because not only did you grow your practice, but it is um, an example for every place around there that wasn't. I mean, when I graduated there in 2015, there was nothing. Right. That's why I moved and then moved back. But there was nothing. Right. Right. I remember thinking, like, when I applied for this job, like, I didn't even have the ability to be that picky because of the jobs that there were. First off, there's not that many. And then secondly, there's not that many that were willing to take new grads then, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know how it is, like at the military hospitals and that, like they wanted you to have two years experience before you could go work there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it like there wasn't a lot available. And I feel like there's a lot more that I see come across now. Yeah, and you came three years after, looked and still felt the same way that there really was was nothing. So just in- the last five years, I feel like there's right. been so much change practices that are adding midwives that never <laughs> in a thousand years. Right. I mean, I know there's a particular hospital in the area that never, I mean, I don't even think, I think it was frowned upon that is now hiring midwives. I think they've had midwives yeah. for years, but I've seen some job listings there too. Yeah. So I think that's great for the area because not everyone can drive to Riverside. I mean, there's tunnels, right. there's right it's not feasible there's horrible traffic also we just we can't take i mean as much as we would love to think we could take everybody we can't take everybody (laughs) right there's only so much you can do before you're needing like two midwives per shift or something like that right and i mean like we have talked about that like i think this postpartum rounding position is probably the first of that Mm -hmm. and so how many are you guys doing a month so we do around 160 i think is kind of our average in a month and then sometimes that can fluctuate up. I think the most we have, I don't know that we ever go over 200 and I don't think we ever go below 150 so much. Mm-hmm. So kind of in that range, it fluctuates back and forth. Do you think you'll consistently get over 200? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we could, we would get there. And then sometimes I think that maybe we're kind of reaching that peak as to where it is mm-hmm. but it'll be interesting they're adding um they're at the very least they're going to add another practice on this side of the water um and so I don't and there's talk about at the new hospital they're building actually adding a new labor and delivery there and so I think it could depend like if they opened up just an office there I think that could increase our numbers mm-hmm. because people that live in the same area as me it's I'm within about a 20 minute drive to numerous hospitals. 
-hmm. And so, and one of them being Riverside. And so I think if you're going to pull more people from this area that they potentially would go to Riverside if they had a closer access for their office appointments. So the new hospital, you guys potentially practice there as well? Potentially, yeah. They, I think it's approved that it's going to have labor and delivery, but I don't know that that will come out in the final mm-hmm. thing or not. I'm not sure Is how that, that will work. Would it have midwives? Yeah, that's... I mean, it's talk- a hospital in Newport News. No. Mm-mm. Oh. No, it's in um Smithfield. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so... And they had some talk about making that kind of like a birth center setup. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't think that the transfer availability works as well for that. So I don't know that that's how it's going to be. I think if it is opens a labor and delivery, it'll be a low risk. Okay. Like uncomplicated individuals. And then they would transfer anybody with complications to regional. Maybe you'll need a midwife to work in Smithfield. yeah in the future might be an option um okay I have other questions that I've been directed to ask you um some of them we kind of went over but um talking about the growth of the team and everything like that um advice which was great for somebody coming into an environment that you went into um okay this is a good one um the qualities because you're involved in hiring a lot you yes. interview everybody. I know you take them to dinner and such and such. Like I said before, they were like, Kelly, this, Kelly, that, go ask her. <laughs> it has to be Kelly's approval. She's with me. <laughs> um, what qualities do you think are important in hiring midwives into a busy high-risk practice like you're in? So for one, I think I like to see people that have, for one, some flexibility, right? Like you can't be real stringent in the type of position that you want because even five years later, our position is still evolving and changing. And so I don't know that it would look the same. Um, the other thing is, is that I always tell people like, you have to be willing to embrace the chaos (laughs) because it's not straightforward because we are a collaborative practice. Like for example, today, like I had one person at one end of the hall that's delivering unmedicated, uncomplicated, easy peasy delivery while just a couple doors down is somebody who's on mag getting blood pressure pushes and things like that. Um, and then at the same time, like it's, it's busy. Like you have a busy board that you're, that you're kind of constantly keeping up with. And so you have to kind of like that. Like, you know, I always say like, I, I, I like to live in the chaos. (laughs) Like it keeps me moving and keeps me going. So like, I like the busy, but if that's not you, that's okay. But like, then we're not the right practice. And I think that that's really important to identify when you are a midwife and you are interviewing at jobs is what is it that's going to make you happy? And I usually will ask people that, like, that's one of my questions is like, if you could imagine your most perfect midwife position, what would it look like? And I always try to ask them this before they've gotten too deep into questions about what our practice is, (laughs) because if they tell me like, I really want to do uncomplicated midwifery forward deliveries all the time, then, then we're not, you won't be happy with us. Right. Like it just, that's, that's not the way that our practice is set up and that's okay. We need people in, in birth centers and home births and, 
places like that doing those uncomplicated, straightforward deliveries. Mm-hmm. I think as much as we need, you know, I think that just because you're sick in pregnancy doesn't mean you don't deserve a midwife at your birth. I think exactly your high risk pregnancy doesn't mean your delivery is high risk. Like, I think you should still be able to get some of those same elements um, that you were hoping to have in whatever you envisioned your birth being. And so, like, I think midwives have a position at, at high risk pregnancies and high risk deliveries to kind of like remind everybody, like, this is still a woman having a baby. <laughs> Do you all require like labor and delivery experience or experience as a midwife, anything like that? So we don't require experience as a midwife. Actually, out of our group now, I think only two people had midwifery experience before they joined our practice. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else was new grads coming in. And we've had a couple of people that have joined our group and left our group that were also new grads coming in. Um, so we definitely take new grads. I do kind of look for labor and delivery experience. And the reason for that is just because of our volume. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's very hard to jump in and to take care of some of these patients with their complications and that if you haven't kind of had some of that experience. So not even just labor and delivery experience, but like some high risk labor and delivery experience mm-hmm. so that you have an idea of what some of those basic things are that you need to get done for this patient as we are going to consult, because that's the other thing, like, uh, you know, it's, I'm not managing these people all by myself. If I'm admitting somebody I like with pre E I'm, going to get orders in to get their blood pressures under control. I'm going to start them on mag, but then I'm also going to call my physician and be like, Hey, listen, this is, this is what we have going on right now. Um, and I think having some of that labor and delivery skill helps. I also think that reading strips takes a long time and reading strips in a high risk situation takes even longer. And so I think if you have that experience, it, helps it make that transition into such a busy practice a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's probably people out there that could do it without it. Right. Like the right person probably could. So it's not that it would be a straightforward. We would never even talk to you on the phone, but I, it, it definitely doesn't go in their favor. Mm -hmm. I mean, having that experience of pushing antihypertensives and starting mag and knowing what a sick person looks like and reading just one or two strips on your patients versus as a midwife, you have seven, eight, nine, 10. Right. is huge in a practice. That's that, that's right. Right. Yeah. Being able to do like a quick little look over at your strips, like, okay, everybody looks great or being Mm. able to really identify like the evolution of that strip. I think that comes with time and it just, it just takes a little bit of time and experience to kind of get that. And I think it's good if you can get some of that time and experience then as a new midwife in like a lower volume and in a lower risk situation, because otherwise it's just too much at once. Like it's, mm-hmm. nobody would be happy in that. Uh, I couldn't even begin to imagine. <laughs> I think back to when I started as a labor nurse into a high risk unit with like no thought of being a labor nurse in my mind. And I cried. <laughs> I cried a lot. (laughs) So I think that's where kind of some of that comes in at. Like I said, it's not that there's probably people out there that could do it, but I just, I don't think they would be happy. I think they'd get burnt out. Like this job's hard enough. Mm -hmm. On top of being tired. Right. (laughs) Right. 
Um, okay. So this is a good one. It goes back to just what you've done over the last five years, but um, advice for finding solutions to make midwifery more sustainable. Like you've brought on more midwives and yeah. added these PRN positions. So a lot of that goes into that question, but do you have anything else like you specifically feel? I think the biggest thing for me is that you, you really need a team. I could never imagine being like the only midwife hanging out in a group. Like, and you see it, you see only one midwife with a group of physicians. And to me, that would be hard. So like, I, I put a lot of emphasis into our group, like being a team and then also listening to my team. So like when somebody tells me like, what's the common concern that people have? Like for everybody, um, it was postpartum rounding. So like, okay, well then this is what we need to fix. Right. And then identifying that, like when somebody is not happy, okay, is this one part of this job that you're not happy about? Or is it the job as a whole? Like we've had people that have left. And I remember one of our midwives that left when she came to me, she's like, Kelly, I'm so sorry. Like, I just, I can't, I'm just not happy. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, then you need to go. Like, mm -hmm. I love having you here. I love being your coworker. I know looking at you, you're not happy. <laughs> and I don't want that for anybody, right? Like, ultimately, if you get in there and you find out this isn't what you want, then this isn't your job. This isn't what you're meant to be. And that's okay. Like, there's, there's a midwife position for everybody out there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is really the most important thing is just really building that team and building that comfort level for people to be able to come and say like, Hey, this is what's happening for me. And this is not working for me. What can we do to make it better? You know, like we've adjusted schedules so people could have when they needed, when life required them to have certain days, we have gotten like somebody for postpartum rounding. Everybody felt really kind of like burnt out by the hours we worked and the pay we got. So we, you know, went to management about that and said, Hey, look, this is what I do. This is what somebody else is doing the same. And this is our difference. And so I think it's really important. You gotta, you gotta find your people, right? Like it's not, it's not sustainable. I don't think alone. I think you gotta have a group. And I think it also helps me that I have people outside of my group too, like yourself, right? Like how many times have I texted you and been like, am I crazy for thinking this is terrible yeah. <laughs> or like, is this, you know, what, whatever the question may be, like, I think you need that group. Mm. And I think you're, you make a great point. Um, having a midwife coven <laughs> yeah, outside of your practice too. Like we have each other and Jamie and Sam and, right. you know, you have these people that you can bounce ideas off with that work in totally different places. Maybe we right. all work together at one point, but, and can all say, or even Jamie coming into your practice with her background and saying, right. You know, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I think you have to. And like, I don't know, I'm sure other schools have it too, but like frontier, we have like a, an alumni page or whatever mm -hmm. on Facebook. And so like, there's people on there, like I've gone on there to also get feedback from like, to find out what are other groups doing that's working, right? Like, cause somewhere out there, somebody else has figured this out already. <laughs> and so sometimes you just gotta ask the right group. And so I have gone on there and been like, hey, how did you ever make this work or that work? Or, 
what was the solutions? And I like am usually able to find somebody that has done something similar to kind of get that support. And I've heard that from more than one Frontier grad. Frontier is really good at that, I think, because everybody's virtual. I think you learned that from the beginning. Yeah. You kind of keep that going. Yeah. That's a nice course. Even if it's not your best friend, it's just a place you can reach out to and say, you know. Yeah. I have like my, some of my closest friends from school, they actually were like the FNP route. And like one of them now is like mental health um, nurse practitioner. And so all the time we text back and forth. She's like, Hey, I have a patient who's pregnant. What would you do for this? And I'm like, Oh, Hey, I have a patient that's pregnant, but she needs this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's great to have those other people. Yeah. Cause like I said, I it's just a mental health friend too. And we did. We did. <laughs> yeah. So I think you've met her. Fun. Yeah. You just gotta have, you just gotta find a friend sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's good advice, especially if you're like going into a practice where you went into or someone else where not midwives yet, you're new, maybe not welcomed. And you're in yeah. that really, you're in that struggle bus of trying to get through those really hard times. Yeah. You need somebody you can vent to somebody that's gonna either give you some solid advice or just let you cry to them for a minute <laughs> so that you can then regroup and be like, okay, never mind. I don't want to quit this job and move across the world. Yes. Midwiving the midwives, right? That's what it's called. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to ask you the deep, heavy question. Um, (laughs) Students. Now, this is a great place for this because a lot of aspiring midwives, midwives listen, I would say from feedback more so than practicing midwives that listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, So you take a lot, you've had a lot. Mm -hmm busy practice. I mean, I can't even imagine going into your practice as a student. It must feel daunting. Oh my gosh. Is this how it is? Which sometimes it is. And sometimes it's not like that everywhere. Um, I can tell you my perspectives one of these days on, on the opposite of a very low volume practice, but that'll be a side conversation. So (laughs) what I guess would be your advice, thoughts, perspective, on students what they should expect you know yeah go with that so I we have we've had a lot of students now and like taking students has been something that has always been important to me because like as much as I want to be a fantastic midwife I want everybody in the world to have a midwife so like there just needs to be more of us and there can't be more of us if we do not have people willing to take students on and I had a hard, hard time finding a clinical site, um, and going through that. And so I try to help out as many students as I can. And we're a great practice for it because you're going to get everything right. Mm -hmm. You're going to, you're going to get, we can, I've had patients or students like email me and they're like, are you sure I can get my numbers girl? Yeah. In a week we got, Mm -hmm. don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whatever hours you're willing to put in, you're going to get it. I promise. Like not a day will go by that you'll sit here bored. Um, and so, but the big thing on that, the flip side of that is that I think there is like a little bit of a shift that has happened in the dynamic of students. And I don't know where it was. And like, maybe also like, I didn't have students until I was a midwife, but like, even from like the mindset I went into clinicals with, because remember, like I had this timeline. So like, I knew I had to get in there and I had to 
absorb everything possible and get everything possible out of this and still be able to finish and feel comfortable finishing. And sometimes I think people get so worked up in that I just need to get these numbers in these hours and forget about the fact of that this is your time to have a one-on-one friend, right? To have somebody with you, Mm -hmm. to have somebody have your back, to not be the sole responsible person for this patient. And so like you really need to absorb everything from that experience and also know that like my job as a preceptor for you is to talk you through whatever it is that went on, right? Because in the moment when you are between somebody's legs, we can't always talk about things because the patient's not going to feel comfortable with that. The family won't feel comfortable with that. Like, you know, grandma's going to be in the background going, that person didn't even know what they were doing. She was talking to her through the whole thing. Right. So like, you can't talk about things as much in the room. So you want to be somewhat prepared when you go in there, but then also know that after things happen is when there's going to be a lot of feedback that happens. So your preceptor is going to sit down with you and, and kind of talk through that birth. I tend to talk through every birth, even when they go well with a student and I'll say, Hey, that went great. What did you think? Or, Hey, you know, this is what I saw and how it played out next time I would try doing this, this, or this and realizing that's not your preceptor telling you you're a terrible midwife. You know, I think us as midwives, like we're very passionate because like, this isn't a job we're doing for money and fame because, and if you are, you should leave now. <laughs> like don't do it. That's not coming. <laughs> but um, I think we do it because we are passionate about doing it. And so I think maybe then that leads to a little higher emotions than when somebody's telling us like, Hey, maybe that wasn't the best mm-hmm. or, you know, knowing that you're not going to do that picture, perfect, painless repair on your first repair. It won't happen that way. Right. But the preceptor is going to give you feedback. They're going to talk you through it. They're going to help you on how you could make things have gone better or smoother or things like that. And so just take in that feedback and reflect on it. Don't, don't think that they're telling you you're terrible because I don't think I've ever had that intention of telling a midwife student that's been with me. And I know that I have gotten the perception back from the student that they were like, they became really defensive about that feedback and like they needed to justify what happened. You don't need to justify it. We're just talking about this is what happened and this is how we could have done things differently. And the other thing I would say is be prepared coming into clinicals, right? Like you have done school, you are doing your didactics, you know, frontier, you do all of your didactics before clinicals. So like you've gotten all that book, book, part out of the way and that now we're doing the hands-on part of it but like be prepared to know your basic things because also as a preceptor it's not the same as when you're a new nurse starting on the floor right like it's we're not there to give you all of the answers because you're eventually going to be on your own and things are going to come up that you don't know the answer to and you just you need to know how to use your resources so if you were alone in the clinic and you have somebody with abnormal uterine bleeding, what would you do for them? And if you don't know that answer, where would you go to find out what sort of tests do you need to do? What sort of um, imaging do they need? You know, what kind of options are you going to offer them? You just need to know how to use those resources. And you also need to be able to just give an answer and justify that answer for 
why you gave it, right? Like, I think I would do this because this, this, and this, and then we'll talk about it, right? Like, okay, that's one option, but maybe this is what I would do differently. Oh, or I always will tell them like, okay, these are the resources that were super helpful to me when I was a student. And like I said, it's not that I want you to not have to, me to not have to teach you anything, but like, I, you just need to come prepared for it. You need to know where are your resources. And that's because when you are on your own, you will have things you don't know, right? At the end of clinicals, you don't know it. And if you did know it at the end of clinicals, you will forget it the first day you walk into your new job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you just need to know, like, how, how am I going to get these answers when I need them? Um, and so it's, it's a little bit of a difference. And I think maybe that comes from that, that preceptorship when you're a new nurse is a little bit more direct education Yeah, and that versus like, even if you looked at like residents and the way that they do it, like they do like grand rounds and their Q and A's over patients and like get grilled on patients and why they would do that and things like that. Um, so I think it's, it's a little bit of a different mindset in it that makes it a little bit different experience. So I think people just need to also be prepared to know, like, it's, it's not going to be quite the same, but also Do you have like some like, what are some top five things they should know? Like, I would say know how to read a strip would be one of them. Knowing how to read a strip. I've taught people cervical exams, but I do think, like, try to try to get some experience in them if you weren't a labor nurse coming in beforehand. Um, and I always tell people to measure everything with their fingers. Um, measure the top of a soda bottle. Measure the bottom of your soda can. Measure anything and everything with your fingers. And then add that up. Or, I've seen people do Play-Doh models, which yeah. seems like that would be helpful because it's kind of soft. Right. It's that same soft and that to help. But I think the other big things to know is how to, what are your basic things that you do in prenatal care? Like, mm -hmm. what are those basic labs that we want to look at and know what is the timing for those labs that we're going to do? So, you know, going into this, whichever appointment it is for that patient, like, these are the things I really want to talk to them about. Mm -hmm. Like, these are going to be the things that are important to cover. And I mean, some of that will change, right? Because you get in the room and the patient's like, I don't give two craps about this glucola that I have to have because my back is killing me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, like, you're going to have to kind of change things and adapt based upon the patient's complaints and concerns. And But no, but glucose is due at 28 weeks, GBS at 36, mm -hmm. things like Right. Yeah. Right. Your anatomy scan at 20 weeks. Blah, right. Blah. Right. Just those basic things, having mm -hmm. those covered. And then also like, what are your basic treatments, right? Like, you know, in the clinic, your day is filled with, if it's not OB, then it's probably bacterial vaginosis, yeast infections, or pap smears. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what are our top treatments for each of those things? And then what is our screening, right? Like, do we need, do they need HPV with it? Do they need, um, just to reflex it, like just those basic things. Like you don't need to know in depth. I don't expect you to know what to order for abnormal uterine bleeding that we're going to, that's going to take some, some fishing out of the patient's story to figure out mm -hmm. and going back to, um, well, I don't expect that you're going to know how to suture because to be honest, as a new grad, I didn't know how to suture well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, 
luckily I worked with great physicians that were really super patient and helping me to learn how to suture, but know how to tie your knots, like make some friendship bracelets because you really have to be able to tie those knots in your sleep. Mm-hmm. Cause <laughs> because sometimes you're pretty sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you are half asleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, knowing how to tie those knots ahead of time, because you can practice that. That just takes some yarn mm. or some string and practice those things. So just those basic things, I think is it puts you in a good place to start. And then also find out what good resources there are to have. Like there's tons of apps for your phone now that I think are super helpful. Um, and they make it a little bit simpler. I know I really like to use the, um, which one is it? The NPWH or the WHNP. Yeah. Because you can like put in the age and it's going to tell you what you need to do for their well woman Mm -hmm. exam. Um, or the contraception app Mm -hmm. I think is great because you can put in their risk factors and know what you can and can't prescribe for them. Like they're just helpful to have those, those little things on your phone and know this is where I'm going to go to find this. Mm-hmm. STD, CDC, STD. Mm-hmm. I, I also that. really liked that little red book, obstetrics and gynecology. The tiny one. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Um, I it the layout of that just made sense for my brain, and so mm-hmm. I really like that because you can quickly pull up by whatever is going on and kind of get an idea. I don't think I use that one much. Yeah. I did use, and still sometimes the purple, I don't know if it's purple, but it's like midwifery. Oh yeah. Do you know the spiral purple one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like someone it kind of, I think it's like. similar, but a little bit bigger. The red one, the purple one is similar. Like as far oh, as like information okay. that's in it, it's yes. similar, but the book itself is bigger than the way that that red one is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know what red book you're talking about, but, oh yeah, I think I have it. I just haven't used it very much. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) what I mean. Like I think, and I think different resources will make more sense to certain people, but Mm -hmm. really just knowing what those are, because that's, you just, you have to be able to find an answer Mm -hmm. to, to give a patient. And sometimes the book answer may not be the same answer as what I would do for the patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because some of that just changes with time and that. And so, um, but at least being able to say like, oh, this is what I would do. And this is why I would do it. I think it's great. I keep notes in my phone too. Oh yeah. Like little quick things that I use frequently, which I don't always need, but sometimes if it's been a minute, I'm like, oh, what do I do for that? And this is, I mean, however many years in, seven years in, I still step up. Um, I think it's great. Cause like, um, you know, Epic, I don't know if you've ever used Epic in any mm-hmm. of your places. So Epic, you have like dot phrases that you can make, you can type in whatever you want it to say and then have a dot phrase for that. So like I can make a dot phrase for like bacterial vaginosis. So like when I'm writing my note at the end of the day, I could just hit dot in my little, my little blurb and it would pull in everything that I'm going to do for somebody with bacterial vaginosis. Mm-hmm. So like, their vaginal hygiene education and all of that stuff. Something um, you made, you wrote the blurb. Yeah. So like yeah. after I looked up once, like, what do we do for this? 
then I write this blurb and then I can pull that into any chart whenever I have a patient with that. So like sometimes then it's also helpful for like when I have somebody like one of our physicians in our group does infertility and I kind of talked to her about like if there's a patient that's wanting referrals for infertility, like what are some basic labs or imaging that you would want done before you see that patient the first time? Like what could save some time? And so now I can just hit dot whatever that whatever I have that named and it brings it in and then I it's a little reminder of what I should order and the imaging and things like that. Yeah. So it's a little cheat sheet without yeah. having to look at anywhere else. <laughs> that is nice. I've heard Epic is a good charting system, but uh, I'm in the archaics, so I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. So that's all my questions. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Thank you, Gabe. Great advice. Do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I feel like... We covered everything plus that. Yeah. Well, thank you. After four years. Thank you, Kelly, for coming on and sharing your story. That was so amazing and awesome. And um, as you can tell from the interview, I know Kelly. I've known her for a very long time. And it was super fun and rewarding for me to have her as my friend to come on and interview. Um, if you guys have any suggestions of people you would like interviewed, please send me an email journey to midwifery podcast at gmail.com. As I'm sure you can tell, I'm doing recordings a little less often right now, just because I'm in that stage of life, but I would love your suggestions and I will reach out to anyone you suggest and ask them to be on. And um, loving the input and the feedback. So keep it coming my way until next time.